is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. It's been more than a year since politicians, business executives, and other community leaders have been able to come together in person in Detroit for a big conversation about some of the most pressing issues that affect our region. But tomorrow, that's all going to change with the return of the Detroit Regional Chamber's 2021 Detroit Policy Conference. The gathering is going to be at the Aretha Franklin Amphitheater on the Detroit River, and it'll feature speeches from Lieutenant Governor Garland Gilchrist, Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson, Detroit Mayor Mike Duggan, Pistons Head Coach Dwayne Casey, and a lot of other people. It all starts at 11 a.m. and ends at 5 p.m. tomorrow, and you can find more information at DetroitChamber.com slash DPC. Here to preview the conference and talk about some of the issues that are going to be discussed is the CEO of the Detroit Regional Chamber, Sandy Barua. Sandy, welcome back to Detroit Today. Good to be with you, Stephen. Happy Monday. Yes, uh, great to have you here. So before we get into the details of tomorrow's conference, for people who aren't going to be able to attend and maybe haven't even experienced a conference like this, uh, tell us why they should care about this. How does a conference like this affect people who aren't actually able to participate in it? One of the primary tenets of the Detroit Regional Chamber is that progress is best made and actually maybe only made when disparate people representing disparate views and disparate entities come together for a common conversation. And as something that you and I have talked a lot about over the years, Stephen, a civil conversation. And for the last decade, that is exactly what the Detroit Policy Conference has done, has brought together leaders from our business community, from our philanthropic community, from our neighborhood and civic community, along with government leaders to talk about what's going on in our region, particularly the city of Detroit, and how do we chart a path forward together? And that really needs to be an in-person conversation. Mm. And as you noted so well in your <laughs> in your opening, Stephen, uh, we haven't done this conference since uh, February of 2020. Uh, so it's been a year and a half. And and talk about the importance of the return of these kinds of things. As I mentioned in the intro, this is the first one uh, since COVID-19. Uh, and in fact, the last time you were with us on the show was last March, right after Governor Whitmer issued her stay-at-home order and told people to shelter in place. So how big a deal is it that we're able to get back to events like this? And, hey, we've got another one coming up in September when we all head up to Mackinac the way we normally do in May, but now we'll do it in the in the fall this year. Yeah, you know, as a, you know, an organization with the footprint and the reach uh, and the profile that we have, we think it's really important for us uh, to be really intentional about the messages we send, not just through communications and statements and interviews like, you know, the one I'm honored to do today, but by what we do. And, you know, we did that early. We were one of the first organizations to go work from home. We've been, you know, uh, uh, very, very visible on the uh, vaccine promotion front. Uh, but also, it's also now time to carefully and thoughtfully 
go back to in-person events. Uh, that in-person convening that is so important, not just for our business life, but for our social life. I mean, we all crave that human interaction, and we think we can send an important message by doing an event differently than we've done in the past, but with the same ethos that we've done in the past, which is bringing together leaders and members of our community to have this discussion, but let's do it in person. I think we're all tired of, of, of doing these things in Zoom. Zoom has been great, you know, <laughs> but uh, uh, Zoom, ha Zoom has a place, and that place is not everywhere. Yeah. So, so let's talk about some of the content. You guys have a, a really impressive lineup scheduled for the policy conference this year. Let's start with Lieutenant Governor Garland Gilchrist. Uh, what, what, what do we expect that he might be talking about at the, at the policy conference? There's so many things going on in the state and, of course, here in southeast Michigan. Yeah, I think that, you know, the way we've kind of crafted this conference, uh, Stephen, is really looking at, you know, from a city and regional perspective, you know, what is the future of business and business issues, you know, such as, you know, you know, you know, how do we work? What is the future of kind of our community and how COVID has going to have some long lingering impacts on community? And what is the future of some of these, you know, really important equity issues that have been brought to the fore over the over the last year? And it's just really this last bucket. Um, that uh, that I think that uh, the lieutenant governor is really going to focus on is some of these equity issues. Also, I really anticipate uh, the lieutenant governor to focus very strongly on the importance of getting Detroiters, in particular, vaccinated. Mm. Uh, you know, as you know, you know better than 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 most. You know, the uh, vaccination rates across the state are are pretty average uh, compared to the rest of the nation. But here in the city of Detroit, we're really lagging. I mean, we're looking like a lot of these southern states that have a lot of kind of anti-vaccine, mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, uh, rhetoric and feeling and, uh, and you know, just kind of a vibe about them. And we're seeing in these southern states, uh, uh, you know, real spikes, scary spikes in terms of uh, hospitalizations that are approaching the early days of the pandemic about, you know, a, a year ago. Uh, and, you know, emergency rooms are filling up. 99.5% of these people who are going into emergency rooms uh, in these southern states are non-vaccinated people. Uh, and we don't want to see that in Detroit because that would be terrible for our community, terrible for our economy, terrible for our social fabric. Mm. And uh, you mentioned there uh, that one of the things you, you expect uh, the lieutenant governor to talk about is is the impact on business uh, from the pandemic and, and what we do to kind of pivot and, and push things back in the right direction. I wonder if you can spend some time, though, talking about what that impact has been from the perspective of, of the chamber. I mean, you represent uh, many, many businesses here in, in Southeast Michigan. Uh, a lot of those businesses were just slammed by the pandemic and the worst parts of the pandemic really uh, made it questionable whether some of them would, would survive. But now we're starting to see a resurgence, people coming back, reopening. Uh, how does all that look from, from your chair? Uh, I, I don't want to sound like an economist because I only got a minor in economics <laughs> as an undergraduate, but it, it depends. I mean, it, it really, the answer really is it depends. Some businesses and industries thrived during the pandemic. I mean, you think about manufacturing in general 
generally thrived because so many people, uh, you know, had had resources. They actually had extra resources because their incomes remained uh, stable, but their expenses went down because well, they weren't <laughs> they didn't need to go to the dry cleaners. They weren't going out to dinner and they weren't taking vacations because they were mm-hmm. stuck at home. So they invested in their home. So you know, things like that you know, really thrived. Uh, obviously, if you were a uh, a restaurateur, if you were a small business that was reliant on on foot traffic, uh, you know, some were able to pivot and do well, or at least okay. Some uh, were driven out of business uh, very, very early, prematurely uh, early. So it really depends on the size of business. It depends on the size of business. And Stephen, it also depends, uh, unfortunately, on who owns the business. Mm -hmm. We are seeing, we saw over this last year and a half, that businesses owned by persons of color fared far worse, Mm -hmm. uh, primarily because they had fewer resources, fewer access to resources. Uh, they may be less technologically savvy. They didn't have, you know, consultants and accountants to be able to, you know, uh, get those PPP loans that the federal government offered. Uh, they didn't have, you know, professional services agreements where people would say, hey, listen, here's a great way to be able to pivot your business uh, to more of an online business. Uh, and so, you know, the there are disproportionate impacts on different kinds of businesses, different size of businesses, and the ownership of businesses. Mm. I'm talking with Sandy Barua. He's the CEO of the Detroit Regional Chamber. We're talking about the return of an in-person Detroit policy conference, which is happening tomorrow, Tuesday, from 11 a.m. to 5 p.m. at the Aretha Franklin Amphitheater. It's going to feature a lot of different speakers, a lot of different prominent speakers here in our region, including Lieutenant Governor Garland Gilchrist, Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson, Detroit Mayor Mike Duggan, and Pistons head coach Dwayne Casey. You can find more information at uh, DetroitChamber.com slash DPC. Uh, We also want to hear from you during the conversation. Uh, Give us a call and tell us what one or two of the most pressing issues you think Metro Detroit is facing that you would hope political and business leaders will be talking about when they meet during the Detroit Policy Conference uh, tomorrow. Um, What do you think are the biggest challenges that face us here in the region? And what do you think are the biggest assets as we move into a post-COVID era? And I'd say that uh, hesitatingly, that uh, we aren't, of course, all the way out of the pandemic, but it does seem as though we are we are pivoting back toward uh, some degree of, of normalcy. Uh, as always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook or to Twitter and put the comments there, and uh, we'll work you back into, into the conversation. Uh, Sandy, I, I, I want to talk a little about something that I've been talking with everybody about for the last couple of weeks. And that's our infrastructure here in Southeast Michigan, which we are being reminded of uh, again, uh, the 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 real shortcomings that we have in terms of investment and upkeep of it, in terms of upgrading uh, that that infrastructure. is is that a subject that uh, you expect to to take center stage tomorrow during the conference? 
Yeah, center stage, uh, obviously we have uh, the mayor uh, coming to speak. Uh, you know, we have, as, as you mentioned, the lieutenant governor uh, coming to speak and, and have a conversation uh, and others. And, you know, I, I assume that will come up, but, you know, in terms of a specific issue, uh, you know, unlike our previous Detroit policy conferences, Stephen, uh, we are limiting this to a half day mm -hmm. event. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's really just an afternoon, not even a full afternoon. So unlike years past where we had an entire day to program, uh, we're not going to be able to get to everything. But that's one of the steps that we took uh, in addition to, you know, changing the venue. Obviously, this year we're going to be outdoors at the Aretha Franklin, uh, is to do a shorter uh, event because we just know that, you know, there are people who are going to feel uncomfortable being in a large group for an entire day, mm. and we wanted to lower that barrier. So there are a lot of things that, you know, uh, we would like to have put on the agenda, and, and obviously our agenda was set uh, before this most recent flooding incident that affected so many people mm -hmm. uh, across the region. I've been talking about it. I've been uh, in the news quite a bit, uh, talking about the importance of, of infrastructure. I mean, we are living uh, off of infrastructure that our grandparents built, if not our great-grandparents mm -hmm. built. Uh, we are seeing the very real impacts of climate change. I mean, it's not like, you know, in past generations, we didn't see these big rain bomb events. We're just seeing them so much more frequently uh, than, 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 than we ever did before. And you take this very old infrastructure with this, you know, far increasing uh, uh, kind of instability in our weather patterns, and, and that math just doesn't add up. And so the fact that we're having these big flooding events and other kinds of infrastructure issues shouldn't be a surprise to us like the dam collapsed last year. Hmm. Uh, you, know, uh, you know, our infrastructure is not is not new, it's not modern. We haven't invested in it as a society and we need to be willing to be able to do that. And unfortunately, that's not going to be free. Uh, and we need to figure out how we're going to pay for it. Yeah, that is the big, that is the big question. And I think that is the thing uh, that most citizens who are experiencing all of the things that happen when these storms uh, occur probably haven't quite wrapped their their minds around that that we're not going to be able to change this situation without money from probably all of our pockets in some form to be able to to catch up on the backlog of maintenance and and repairs and and then of course to upgrade the the system it's 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 a moment that I feel coming uh, when people start to to realize that but I, I don't think uh, I don't think we're quite there yet um, again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. Let's uh, start with Leslie in Hazel Park. Leslie, what's on your mind? Yes. I, I remember like 25, 30 years ago going to a seminar about uh, the mass transit railway like they have in Europe. Hmm. I mean, we've been kicking that thing down the road <laughs> for that length of time and probably even before that. Hmm. And that is just makes so much dang sense because there's so many people in Detroit that really don't have vehicles or you put it in the fact that it'll get the cars off the off, off the highways and you won't have such congestion. I mean, there's so many benefits from that that I can't see why now that um, Patterson is off the, the ticket. Mm that we can't get something like that going from here to Lansing mm. or Detroit and Lansing and maybe even Saginaw. Yeah. Who knows? Uh, Leslie, I completely appreciate not just the call, but the, the content of the call here. This is something 
we talk about a lot on Detroit Today, and it's something that I talk about an awful lot here in the in in southeast in southeast Michigan. Uh, Sandy, transit is one of the things I think we also learned a little more about in terms of our preparation and readiness um, uh, for those things, and and for being able to get people around. During the pandemic, uh, the the list of speakers that you have, I can think of at least a few of them who might be uh, who might be focused on on this issue and may may bring it up. Yeah, so uh, I appreciate Leslie's question. Uh, you know, we have been you know the business leader uh, for regional transit. Uh, across the region. Uh, we led the effort uh, in 2016 that mm-hmm. almost passed. We came within about 1.2%, uh, if I remember correctly, of getting that uh, region-wide ballot initiative done for, for regional transit. Uh, I am talking to you know, the, uh, the county executives right now about uh, you know, uh, a new regional transit initiative, probably different than we've seen before. Uh, the, the one area I might uh, differ with Leslie just a little bit on is that, you know, I, I think our first priority is to ensure that people within our region can move around the region well, efficiently, safely, uh, you know, so they can get to work, they can get to school, they can get to recreation opportunities, uh, you know, and, and, and I think the region doesn't go quite as far as, say, Saginaw, as, as, as the caller mentioned. But being able to efficiently get people who live in Detroit to jobs out in Novi, you know, for people who live in Northville to get, you know, jobs that might be out like in, say, in Sterling Heights, uh, by using an efficient uh, regional transit system, like most other regions have, and frankly, all high-performing economic regions have solid regional transit. So this is yet another kind of infrastructure question where I think there's broad agreement that we need this. There is not broad agreement in terms of how to pay for it. Uh, and you know, it all comes down to you know, you know, we all have our wish lists. <laughs> um, you know, it's like okay, how do how do we afford uh, the wish lists? Um, and but uh, you know, so I, I agree with the caller. Uh, you know, we're working on regional transit. It's going to continue to be very high on our priority. Uh, we cannot have a an equitable. We cannot have a prospering, um, and we cannot we cannot have a dynamic and mobile region without uh, better regional transit. Yeah. Full yeah. stop. Okay, uh, let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll continue this conversation with Sandy Barua, the CEO of the Detroit Regional Chamber. We'll also continue to hear from you on the phones. 313-577-1019 is the number. That's 313-577-1019. Call and tell us what issues you want business and political leaders here in Southeast Michigan to be talking about tomorrow during the Detroit Policy Conference. You can also go to Facebook or Twitter and put comments there, and we can try to include you that way. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. My guest is Sandy Brewer. He's the CEO of the Detroit Regional Chamber. We're talking about the 2021 Detroit Policy Conference, which is back and happening tomorrow, Tuesday, from 11 a.m. to 5 p.m. at the Aretha Franklin Amphitheater. Of course, 
this is uh, the first one in uh, about a year and a half because of the pandemic uh, that that caused us to sort of avoid the idea of large in-person uh, gatherings. Uh, this year's roster of speakers includes Lieutenant Governor Garland Gilchrist, Detroit Mayor Mike Duggan, Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson, and Pistons head coach Dwayne Casey. You can find more information about the conference at DetroitChamber.com slash DPC. Uh, Sandy, before we get back to listeners, uh, I want to talk about former city council member Sheila Cockrell, who is uh, one of the speakers slated for tomorrow. She now leads Citizen Detroit, and she's going to give a presentation about the proposed Detroit City Charter revisions that we expect that Detroiters are going to be able to vote on in August. And that, of course, is barring further intervention from the courts, which we don't quite know about yet. Uh, she's been really vocally opposed to Proposal P, and it's a huge deal here in the city, something that would have really sweeping effects on uh, city government and the city's future. Uh, what are your thoughts at this point on the charter revision questions and what it might mean for business here in Southeast Michigan? Yeah, the, the chamber has uh, officially come out and said that we have uh, grave concerns about Proposal P. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why we have invited uh, Sheila Cockrell to, to be on our stage to, uh, first of all, you know, give uh, people uh, an understanding of what pro Proposal P is and, and, and why it's so concerning, particularly to, you know, those of us who, who employ uh, uh, so many people in, in our region. Um, you know, uh, I, as you know, I moved here uh, and then shortly thereafter, the city declared bankruptcy. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, and that was kind of my intro to, uh, to Michigan and Detroit. And, you know, the last thing that, you know, I want to see that our organization wants to see is uh, the city lose its uh, a really sound financial footing uh, that it has been on. Uh, I think that over the last decade, uh, this city with, you know, the leadership of the city council, with the leadership of the mayor uh, and others, with the business community and the philanthropic community, um, have, have really put this city on a really positive trajectory. I think the fact that, uh, you know, the city did, I would say, very well through the incredibly challenging circumstances of COVID is a testament to that financial discipline, a testament to uh, the leadership of the council and the mayor. Uh, and, and we don't want to lose that. Uh, and Proposal P has a lot of, uh, going back to the term wish list <laughs> that you and I were talking about just a moment ago, Stephen, uh, a lot of wish list items that uh, just become very hard to pay for. Uh, and then if you do pay for them, then you have to start taking away from, from other places, you know, like public safety or like the revitalization of the neighborhoods, you know, like the small business programs that, that the city and the DEGC have been, have been implementing. So uh, we're concerned about it. Uh, we're on record about being concerned about it, and that's why we're happy to have Sheila on our stage. You know, one of the tough issues, I think, surrounding these charter revision proposals is that a lot of the ideas that are contained in the revisions are ideas that a lot of us would support. I mean, we certainly could have arguments about uh, about some of them, but a lot of them are things that I think a lot of Detroiters would say, hey, I, I, I want that, and I want that to be true here in our city. The question, I think, is whether putting it in the charter binds the hands of public officials and commits them to, uh, to pay for things 
those things without being able to 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 have the flexibility that they need to to make sure that the city stays solvent. And I think that's also a, a, a really legitimate question to be asking about these things. But it makes it difficult, I think, sometimes to talk about it because you may be in favor of a lot of these things that <clears throat> are in the charter and or are in the the proposed charter revision. But you may also think, hey, it's just not a, it's just not something that belongs in the charter. Let's talk about that as a legislative issue at the at the council table, or let's have the mayor propose something uh, along those lines and take it to council. Uh, it, it really is sort of about process and how we do things and how we commit to them in the city. Yeah, Stephen, I think I think you're exactly right. I mean, uh, and you know, for, for for a lot of us, it's been a while since we went through you know government 101 in high school, right? And, and we kind of, and sometimes we may forget, you know, the the different roles, different uh, uh, different branches of government, and different documents of government uh, play. You know, the whole uh, the charter is essentially the constitution for the city, and you know, we do not put in the constitution laws. Right, you know, laws are different than you know than constitutional parameters, mm -hmm. and you know, f uh, so constitutions should be written very broadly. You know, kind of set the guidelines, set you know, set processes down, not outcomes, and and that's a hugely important thing. And we see this occasionally at the state level where somebody wants something in the constitution. You know, we as an organization have generally opposed. Uh, uh, updates to the Constitution only because we think that there are, you know, that these things should be uh, gone through either the legislative process or the ballot initiative uh, to be able to to, uh, to to make changes. Because you know, again, this last year has been telling, right? I mean, no one expected we'd have a hundred-year, you know, pandemic. You know, I wouldn't want you know our city government or county government or state government, etc., be bound by kind of things that belong in law. Uh, that can be changed based on the circumstances on the ground. If you put something in the Constitution, mm -hmm. in this case, the Charter, uh, that cannot be changed without a massive effort, you really limit government and the citizens' ability to kind of react to, uh, you know, what's happening, the unexpected events uh, that, 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 that happen uh, in, in the course of, of life. So I agree with you completely. I think that, you know, a little education is needed in terms of, you know, there are things proposed in pro Proposal P that many people may agree on, and that's great. So let's work on those legislatively. Mm, yeah. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. Let's go to Gary in Hamtramck. Gary, what's on your mind? Hi. I wanted to discuss that issue uh, in, the, in his introductory remarks. Uh, Sandy said he wanted the purpose of the conference is to bring – disparate views together, mm -hmm. it seems to me that the entire business and political establishment is opposed to this uh, proposal P. Uh, it's, it's odd that you wouldn't bring a proponent of it as well as an opponent of it to get disparate views. Mm. But the other thing is to discuss some of the opposition and ideas that have been raised, such as I believe it was Mayor Duggan who said that, that no uh, charter commission could could go forward, be put on the ballot without the government governor's sign off, or the various legal challenges which have failed to try and stop the people from voting on on this charter. So I mean, it seems kind of hypocritical to say you want disparate views. You have something that everybody in the establishment is for, and you don't even have the courtesy to bring a proponent of it 
forward to get the mm. to get their time. And I, I just comment WDET that hasn't done the same thing. They haven't organized a debate, haven't brought an, an opponent and a proponent of it. At least on Stephen's show that I could recall. Well, we have had uh, we have had uh, Gary. We have had some of the the framers of uh, the charter revision um, uh, proposals on the on the show. We had a big conversation, in fact, uh, about uh, about all of that with uh, with one of the charter members, charter commission members, Richard Mack. Uh, who's an attorney and a really smart guy and a really interesting guy. He came on and, and talked about why they did what they did. We also had uh, uh, Raquel Castaneda-Lopez, who's one of the city council members, who's really in favor of all of this on the show to talk about. We have not, you're right, we haven't had uh, both sides together uh, to, to argue it out. Um, and, and we actually haven't had opponents of Proposal P uh, on the program at all. That's something we will do uh, before uh, before the election. Uh, but Sandy, uh, address what, what Gary's talking about here. Why not have some proponents of Proposal P um, uh, show up and, and, and speak to the, the Detroit Policy Conference? Well, we have invited uh, all the city council members, and we don't know, at least I don't know, uh, what their uh, views on proposal PR. I assume that they are disparate and they are there and they are invited and uh, they will speak their mind and we are not, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not concerned about, uh, you know, what they say uh, about that. So uh, I think Gary's right in the sense that, you know, we have not structured a debate on Proposal P, uh, the only piece that we do have focus on Proposal P is, you know, the one session uh, with uh, Sheila Cockrell, uh, and that's essentially a mini keynote. Uh, but we have, you know, you know, I mean, uh, Stephen, you've highlighted our agenda several times, but you know, we have, you know, we have an entire uh, group of people that you know we haven't mentioned. I mean, we have the head of the Build Institute, mm -hmm. you know, Regina Ann, you know, Campbell. We have the head of. Um, uh, Detroit Future City, Anika Goss. Uh, you know, we have an entire uh, uh, session focused on, you know, the the the, uh, the restaurant landscape. We have an, uh, we have entire sessions on kind of the future of the workplace. So it's a it is a disparate agenda in terms of there's a there's there's a lot going on. Uh, you, uh, Gary's right. We don't have a debate on Proposal P, uh, but. You know, we have not asked other speakers. You know, hey, how do you feel about Proposal P? And if you and if you're in favor of Proposal P, you can't come. Mm. Uh, or you know, and we're not vetting remarks. Uh, we never vet remarks uh, in terms of what people are going to be uh, be saying when they're on our stage. Yeah. So um, I don't think it's quite as draconian as Gary is presenting it. Uh, but I will grant Gary that uh, we don't have a formal debate on Proposal P uh, on this agenda. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Sandy Barua, CEO of the Detroit Regional Chamber, always great to have you here. And reminder to all the listeners that uh, you can find out more information about the 2021 Detroit Policy Conference at DetroitChamber.com slash DPC. Sandy, thanks so much for being here with us. Good to be with you, Stephen. Okay, that's going to do it for us today. Come back tomorrow for a conversation about how the U.S. Constitution is framed by equality and the struggle for equality with two experts on the subject. We're going to kick off our 2021 Detroit WDET Book Club formally tomorrow with our discussion about the U.S. Constitution. This is 1019 WDET-FM, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.